Welcome everybody to this Struggling Mystic podcast. Uh, we're here with Duncan McBean and Stuart Bosch. This is the first of a, uh, we hope to be a long-running segment, but in fairness, Struggling Mystic as a podcast is hardly a long-running segment in and of itself. So, so this is a segment within a non-functioning segment. We'll see how it well it goes, James. <laughs> But uh, the segment, the idea behind it is to simply drop in a word uh, for the week or bi-weekly and uh, to get the comments on that from Reverend Stuart Bosch, who is out in the Uniting Church in Australia, and Reverend Duncan McBean is a Methodist minister somewhere in the UK. Uh, we'll ask them to introduce themselves in a moment and tell us a little bit about their ministry and, uh, and, uh, and what they're up to. Uh, the word for today is the word Pentecost. So we're going to be looking at that word, getting their responses to it. Uh, but before that, Duncan, tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, the churches you oversee. Thanks, Andrew. Nice to be part of this. Um, I'm the superintendent minister in a circuit in southeast London, which has got eight churches altogether, so nice and small. And I've got oversight over five directly. So it keeps me busy, keeps me on the run. Nice broad spread of the kinds of churches that they are, some very professional upmarket, some um, more working class, and it makes things very interesting. Keeps me on my toes. Brilliant. Duncan, thank you very much. Stuart, what about you? Thanks, Andrew. It's uh, great to be here with you and Duncan. Um it's a night time here in Australia, and it's a beautiful day there for you guys. But uh, Bundaberg is on the east coast of Australia, about four hours north of Brisbane. Uh, I'm the minister at Bundaberg Uniting Church, and the Uniting Church is a um, – it's when the uh, Presbyterian, the Congregational, and the Methodist churches in Australia joined up together, I think in 77, <clears throat> 1977. So it's been um, – just over for just on 46 years now and um yeah i'm part of a presbytery that stretches from the sunshine coast all the way to just north of me uh which means that uh, the furthest churches that are part of uh my deal is about three and a half hours away so sizes uh in australia are just hugely relative it's a massive place but uh thoroughly enjoying ministry and uh Good to be able to talk to you guys with uh, with this. Brilliant, brilliant. Uh, Stuart, thank you very much. As a matter of interest, we're actually sort of, so the, the segment is called uh, Word. We drop in a word, um, but um, <clears throat> but we call ourselves the pontificators. Uh, can you guys recall the origin of that particular, <laughs> of that particular phrase? I see Stuart sort of oh, going, we're not going there, are we? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I'm thinking. We are going there. <laughs> can you guys? Where where did that start? I think it started. Can I can I can I posit a, a, a guess uh, here? Yeah, you could do it because I'm I pretty think, sure it all points towards Stu. So I'm quite happy. <laughs> <laughs> Before we really knew each other that well, I think we were all sitting in a circle doing a sort of oh, just something terrible at a retreat. I don't know what was introducing, talking about something. And then didn't didn't Duncan accuse you, Stuart, of being of pontificating? Wasn't that the accusation? Yeah. Duncan, I remember Duncan saying 
in in love, yeah, in in love, Duncan said to me, "You're a pontificator," and I still remember leaning over to you, Andrew, and saying, "What does that mean?" <laughs> no, I'd, I had no idea. I'd just been insulted, <laughs> but, but but in a strange way. In the way language works, you kind of knew you had been insulted, but you weren't sure of the degree. <laughs> well, it was the tone of Duncan's voice. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah. Uh, so, that, so off the back of that, many many years later, we started the Pontificators Anonymous sort of WhatsApp chat group, which uh, has been dormant in fairness for a uh, fair stretch of time. Yeah. yeah, but it's been good fun. The more dormant it is, the, the, the more fun we have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think in fairness, though, Stu, the, the reality is we all pontificate. We're all very good at it. Oh, she uh, yep. goodness gracious. I mean, I mean, I think that's the truth of it, you know. Like, I mean, do you do you guys ever look back on those early years and sort of wonder? <laughs> Wonder why the community's put up with us. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> do you ever think? I mean, we were so cocksure of ourselves, and uh, you know, we were. I don't know. It's just. It's. I don't know. It's like the the years in ministry sort of beat humility into you. <laughs> <laughs> well, some further along. In... Sorry, Duncan. I said beat humility into some of us. <laughs> I think the further along in ministry you go, the more uh, thankful you are for the forgiving nature of your congregations along yeah, the way. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I think that's what I think that's what I arrive at. Like, my goodness gracious, sure. Um, anyway, have you, the words, have you ever gone back? Have you ever gone back and read one of your early sermons? Oh, no, I, I'm not. Makes you want to enough. write a letter of an apology to <laughs> the congregation you preached it to. <laughs> I must say, my exit from from most of my circuits usually involves me apologising on my, <laughs> the circuit and my churches in particular. And and what's lovely is I'm often met with a blank expression of of why you're apologising. We loved you, and, uh, but you do still think, you know, oh, I, sh- I could have been this or I should have been yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. You know, yeah, that's certainly certainly true. true. Well, with that thought on churches, um, the word for today is Pentecost. We just celebrated uh, Pentecost. And um, so I thought, let's just drop that word in there. When you guys hear that word, what comes to mind? Is it in the New Old Testament, Andrew? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Moving swiftly on. Um, I suppose the the immediate thing that comes to mind is the the tongues of fire and the the uh, speaking in tongues. Those are the the immediate mm, images mm. that come to mind, mm. and um, the the sort of expectation that there is from the church that that's what you'll speak on. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. That it's sort of locked into that imagery, and it's hard to move out of it. Yeah, Stuart. Uh, for me, Pentecost always holds a sense of a beginning. It's always uh, um, the start. You know, mm. I, it's kind of like almost the, the the firing pistol on on the disciples' ministry um, 
that's that's kind of the moment and uh I, i've i've sort of less less so uh on the um the tongues of fire as so much as what happens straight after that you know um that's kind of where i think about when when i hear the pentecost hmm. i have a very visceral sort of thought that comes to my mind every pentecost I mean, I don't know if you found this yourselves, but when you preach a lecture, my goodness, you know, the stuff sort of, <laughs> there's a danger of preaching the three-year cycle. You start, you have the same thoughts. You sort of, I find preaching now, I've got to dig through those layers of sediments of previous ideas and thoughts and stories and images. Um, but I cannot get past Pentecost without thinking, and you'll appreciate this. Uh, I won't name her, but we had a colleague in the ministry who she subsequently left the ministry. She was with us in phase one. And we went on this Christian camp called Emmaus. And <laughs> this is such a bizarre, this bizarre image. But I tell you, it comes to me every Pentecost. <laughs> where we, we're walking in and she, she was holding a candle. And uh, and the candle, and and um, I don't know, was, was it my Emmaus journey or somebody else's? Anyway. It was yours. It was, it was yours. mine, yes, because I was walking into the room. Yeah. And then uh, and she didn't realize it. She, I think she had like quite a lot of hairspray. And the candle <laughs> caught her hair. And she went she bent down. She bent down. Oh, she bent down and then came up and her, her hair was on fire. And, and her husband, who could see what was happening, was hitting her head with a, with a song sheet. And she was so irritated. She, she was didn't so know her hair was on fire. No, she didn't, she know, didn't so realize. She, so he, <laughs> he turned around and cracked her across the head and she didn't realize why. <laughs> She, oh, so oh, she was so, so there was like this moment of like just a huge amount of energy and my friend's head was on fire. And it's just every time I think of Pentecost, I think of old Z's head <laughs> up in flames. <laughs> it's not a thought that takes me anywhere productive, to be honest. It's, it's not like that dog will hunt. But anyway, it's, it's just such an odd story. Um, but um, how, how did your churches, how did you guys celebrate Pentecost this year? I mean, we're all back in worship. Duncan, you guys have been back for a while now. Stuart, you? Yeah, um, except mm. the, the church that I was scheduled to preach at isn't yet back in worship because they're a very small church and very elderly, and they're still shut. So we did a Zoom service, oh, and okay. it was interesting. Um, you know, it's a different format, but yeah, it, it worked well. And they seem to appreciate it. So that was what I did for Pentecost. Oh, good, good. Stu, you guys? <clears throat> yeah, we had quite a fun thing. Um, we did we did our usual, so we got an early morning traditional service and then a 9.30 um, family service. But at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, one of the, um, the local Anglican minister had uh, called the Catholic minister and myself for a cup of coffee a couple of weeks ago. And said, um, "Let's get together and, on Pentecost and do and do a church crawl, which is like a pub crawl but with less alcohol and uh, more people standing at the end of it." <clears throat> so, our churches are in pretty close proximity to each other because you know Bundaberg's not a very big town, and so you had the major denominations. The churches are all sort of in the centre, so. Uh, kind of looking at the the fact that um, you know the the believers were all together at Pentecost, we we kind of symbolised that and uh, got together at our church at two o'clock. We did a song and a, 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 a the start of the Pentecost reading, and um, I, I spoke 
about five minutes just on the joys of joys and challenges of church. We then everybody walked up to the Catholic Church, song and a reading, and the Catholic uh, minister spoke, and then the same at the Anglican Church. Walked across there and uh, and ended off with with afternoon tea together. So it was a nice representation of Christians from across the city, which was pretty good going. It was quite, it was quite a lot of fun. Brilliant. You think it'll be something you'll repeat sort of moving forward? Well, this is the second time we've done it. We, we didn't do it last year because of COVID, but we did it the year before. Um, and uh, we got a pretty good turnout because people remembered it from, from the year before. The challenge, I think, would be if we do it again, we'd like to shake it up. There's a there's a, a couple of other churches within close proximity who I think probably should be included in that. Mm. Mm. Um, maybe not do our three churches, but do some of those other ones and, mm. you know, try and try and broaden the net as it were. Oh, pretty cool. Great, great, great. Guys, with, um, you know, with Pentecost, I don't know if it strikes you, but, you know, there's something deeply challenging about Pentecost. When I was looking at Pentecost this year, I, in fact, kind of been constantly reminded of this article, I, I read this uh, the uh, title of the of a Washington Post article in a book um, reading or was reading called How to Lead When You Don't Know Where You're Going. And um, basically the title of the, the Washington uh, Post article said, if it doesn't stem its decline, mainline Protestantism, which of course is what we were involved in, has 23 Easter's left. Now, that's obviously based on American model, but I think it's fair to say, Stuart, I know in conversation with you, Duncan, certainly with you, myself included, that I can hardly say that um, our church is on a, like a sort of quantum growth uh, curve at the moment, uh, that the church is dying in Europe. Uh, it's a struggle. Um, and then you have the story of Pentecost, which is sort of this like moment of huge energy, of explosion, we know, of course, what happened in the early church with the spread of Christianity. I mean, how do we interpret Pentecost in light of the reality of where Christianity seems to be in its current cycle? One, one of the things that I spoke about on Sunday, um, I spoke about the tongues of flame and the um, speaking in different tongues. And for me, the, the purpose of those two things takes us beyond the acts themselves, beyond what actually happened. Um, if we view that scripture is not a chronological story, that the things that are recorded are recorded for a purpose. So we need to look not just at what happens, but why it's been written, why it's been included. Then it struck me that the tongues of flame were there to motivate the disciples to practically inform them that they had received this blessing from God, this, this yeah. empowering force. And the speaking in tongues was there to meet with people at a level that they could understand. And I was struck, you know, when we read what Peter said to the crowds, it's very theological. But I was wondering about what the other disciples were saying. And I was wondering whether what they were saying in different tongues was speaking about the Jesus they knew at a very personal level. So for me, the whole Pentecost thing is about communicating Jesus at a personal level, meeting people at a very intimate level, um, as in speaking in their mother tongue. And I don't know if you guys remember, but I certainly remember 
preaching in the African context where you had a, an interpreter next to you. And I don't know about you guys, but every now and again, somebody in the congregation will put up their hand and say, hold on, I don't think the interpreter got that right. I think what the minister was saying was X, Y, Z and, and <laughs> corrected the interpreter. And that for me was the difference between mm. these proselytes who were from all over the known world, having Hebrew as their second language or third language and hearing the gospel in their own language. Mm. That's That's the connection there. And I think a lot of Pentecost is about us meeting people where they're at. Mm, and yeah. what we tend to do in church is we tend to sit where we're at and expect people to come to us on our terms. And yeah, I yeah, I mean, yeah. It's disconnects of the church. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess that was where my, my sort of follow-up query would have gone, Duncan, was to say, well, <clears throat> you know, clearly whatever sort of ideas you've had about evangelizing or bringing people in to know Christ that clearly hasn't really worked. I think we might disagree on a lot of things, but we, it's hard to, you know, you're welcome to your own opinion. You're not welcome to your own facts, you know, <laughs> like we know the church hasn't grown. Um, I mean, what does that look like uh, in, in practical terms? Is it just about sort of, is this a sort of your frontline ministry thing, you know, uh, you know, be, be, a, be a presence where you are? Is that, is that sort of what you're saying? Yeah, I think that's certainly a part of it. Yeah. yeah. But what we what we're doing is we're trying to maintain a 200-year-old model of what church is. And oh. that model is that we sit and sing hymns and listen to somebody stand at the front and spout off pontificate for 10, 15, 20 minutes, mm -hmm. you know. And we we I don't think that model has much relevance anymore. Yeah, it's interesting you say that. I mean, what uh, you know, what what would you slip into its place? I mean, what what would the, the sort of spirit-led community look like if that's no longer the church model? Because that's certainly the sort of presiding model that, you know, to this day in most Protestant and, and Catholic and um, non-denominational uh, sort of churches. Yeah. I've been thinking a lot about what happens when I retire, which if I get it right, it's going to be in about 12 years' time. And the reality is, <laughs> counting the days carefully there. <laughs> not quite the days. 11, 11 years and 245 days. <laughs> Pretty much. Um, and I love ministry and I love, I love preaching. I'm a pontificator of note. Um, and I don't even need to use pictures and hand signals when I do it, unlike other people I could mention. Um, I don't want to become one of these retired ministers who sort of attaches themselves to a circuit and then ends up taking communion services around the circuit three, four, five times a quarter. Mm -hmm. I just, that's not for me. So yeah. I've been thinking about it quite a lot and I would like to start a community that is effectively a house group, but a house mm -hmm. group that has a balance between meeting as a house group and in some weeks, instead of meeting as a house group, engaging with a local charity and doing actual practical work amongst people who actually practically need it mm. and having that balance of sitting and listening and learning um, and of going out and doing. And, and genuinely, that's, that's the kind of thing I want to foster mm. with no aim for it to become a church or mm, to mm. become self-funding or anything like that, you know. Yeah. So there's no sort of uh, agenda or ulterior motive attached to it, really. Yeah. 
a group of people who want to grow spiritually and and we explore what that means however that works out for that particular group of people yeah that's it yeah. Stuart, to take it way back for you, the, the sort of challenge of Pentecost in light of the sort of exciting act story, but the reality of the, the Christian world in which we sort of live and work. What, what are, the, are, are you in complete agreement with what Duncan's saying there? Is that where you would be as well? Yeah, I think, um, I think uh, Duncan's spot on um, in terms of Pentecost being meeting, meeting people where they're at and um, uh, I thought it was a lovely way in terms of um, just the different languages, the way Duncan said that. But um, somebody, somebody said to me, just in terms of the Washington Post article, I remember years ago, like in the beginning of our training, one of the lecturers said, oh, the church is a generation away from extinction. So that would probably line up with the 23 Sundays, uh, 23 Easter's or whatever it was. But um but somebody else sort of retorted with, well, the church has always been one generation away from extinction. It's all this whole thing. And um, I think that despite the decline of, uh, of, our, of our sort of um, churches due to models or irrelevance or, or whatever it may be, the church, as in the, the people of God, the ecclesia, the church will never die. Uh, there will always be the people of God. Um, but the institution may die. The institution, the religious institutions that we have, the models that we have, uh, that may, uh, to, to take what Duncan was saying, undergo a radical shift in how they operate and how they work and, and, um, and how they do things. Um, and for me, the... What Duncan was saying is is really crucial because I think the the idea of a group meeting a need or a charity uh, reaching out to people it's about um, that point of relationship. For me, when when the Holy Spirit comes down at Pentecost, it is really the beginning of the relationship of the disciples uh, working together in relationship with God, in relationship with the community. Um, and so that that has to. I, I think the church has to foster that that sense of relationship. That's for me key. Yeah. So would 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 you nuance Duncan's model at all? Would you be in complete accord with the idea of uh, what I find about what, what what Duncan's saying? It's almost like uh, you know you come full circle and, and, and arrive at where you started because because the, the, the church of course started in in small groups. I mean those. Those churches were hardly churches, of course, uh, you know, the church that Paul founded, not churches we understood them, but like, you know, gatherings of people, small groups of people in people's homes, um, you know. So it, it's almost as if we're we're completing the circle and coming back to what we actually believe to be essential about, about the ecclesia, about the church community. Is that what I'm hearing from you guys? I think the... Um, <laughs> It, it does it does circle back there there is an element of which you'd have to say the sense of desire for spiritual learning would have to be there mm. otherwise effectively you become a rotary or a, a or a normal sort of welfare mm. group that's not uh, no that's not what I heard Duncan saying I'm just talking about you know my own thinking here 
Um, so, so there is something unique in that spiritual seeking Formation. and that desire for the connection with God. Hmm. However, uh, you almost have to say that the uh, the death of an institution would maybe be necessary for that kind of model to really thrive and not be labeled as church. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. I mean, we forget that the church as such is 2,000-odd years old, and the Methodist church or, you know, any of the other minor denominations are a couple of hundred years old. So actually, mm. in the full scope of things, you know, they're a, they're a twinkle. Mm. They, yeah. And there have been a lot of things that have, have been birthed and died, a lot of movements, a lot of understandings of, of how to express faith that have been birthed and died in the last 2,000 years. Why should we think we're immune to it? I believe firmly that the body of Christ will not die, that as long as people meet with God in in the ways that they have been over the last 2,000 years, and it's so vastly different from place to place and person to person that you can't tie it down to one way of that meeting. But as long as people continue to to meet with God and to meet with Christ, there is they're going to come together in community. And I actually think maybe what we need to stop doing is stop referring to Pentecost as the birth of the church and start referring to it as the birth of the body of Christ because that mm. speaks of a far greater unity than church because church mm. is about division and order and structure, whereas ah. the body of Christ is not. It's, far more, it's a far more fluid understanding and a far broader understanding mm. It encompasses a lot more than mm. the term church. Yeah. Thanks for that, Duncan. I think that's a, a really a necessary and a helpful reminder even to me because we do sort of kind of conflate the two and just make it one, you know, the idea of church as we understand it being, you know, what happened uh, at Pentecost. But it is about the community. And like you're saying, that community takes many different shapes and forms and styles and uh, and is by no means obviously restricted to our particular model. Or any mainline model for that for that matter, whether it be Catholic or Protestant. Yeah. I mean, where's the hope for you? Perhaps this is our closing question for today. Where's the hope for you in in Pentecost? And and maybe to sort of couple that with a question, how do you see the spirit moving? Uh, and how do you see it moving in the body of Christ right now? The hope is where it always is. The, I'm always worried about that. That like ten second pause. Before. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, it's must, do I need to repeat the question? Hello, hello. <laughs> um, me, Did he say hope and spirit moving? <laughs> this this is new territory for me. Looking at the idea of hope in the church, so I'm going to take it. Um, you haven't thought of these these two profound concepts in the same sentence before. <laughs> I used a, a hymn the other day in worship, and it, it was a hymn about the Holy Spirit and the work of the Spirit. And um, it's it's got this lovely phrase in it that the Spirit is the one who uh, makes us uncomfortable and, and um, turns things upside down. It's got that kind of understanding uh, to it. And I think it's, it's such a good thing to remember. That's not the hymn Spirit of Gentleness, is it? Well, yeah, but there's, it's also the, the spirit that, that takes our lives and shakes them hard, the yeah. spirit who turns things upside down, mm -hmm. the spirit who breathes new things into being. Mm -hmm. and, and that, for me, is, 
is this lovely picture of Pentecost, that that moment of Pentecost 2,000 years ago where mm. it was the noise and the presence of the Spirit that drew people in. Mm. You know, mm. they, they were drawn from what they were doing to this new thing, yeah. and the new thing unfolded. And I think there's always that hope. There's always going to be a new thing. It's for us to be ready to grasp that new thing and to let go of the old. And and part of my preaching yeah. about Pentecost was the, the week before, if you follow the, lit, the, the lectionary, rather, we had the um, choosing of Matthias as the 12th disciple. And I love that bit of scripture because it's just so stupid. Jesus never said to the disciples, the holy number is 12. Verily, these shall be 12, and thou shalt not be less than 12. And 12 <laughs> you know, excuse the oblique reference to the holy hand grenade in the life of life of Brian, I think it is. But anyway, um, is, the disciples look back. They, they cast lots to choose Matthias. You know, they pray yeah. and they say to God, help us. But then they cast lots. They, yeah. they fall back yeah. on what they knew. And the, the, the Pentecost movement cuts them off from mm. that and says mm. to them, mm. this is new. Mm-hmm. And I think our, our willingness and our willingness and the, by our, I mean the body of Christ, the, the self-aware body of Christ who is saying what we are doing is not working. What can we do that is different? The self-aware body of Christ needs to be able to grasp the new as it comes along and go with it and let go of the old. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Incidentally, my, 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 uh, recollection of the casting of lots because i found also like you duncan i found that that reading particularly interesting um but this is the last use of the casting of lots as recorded in scripture i think uh, with the understanding that the spirit sort of then held sway after that rather than falling back on basically games of chance you know this is a well-documented way of making decisions in in scripture but yeah i, I love i absolutely love love what you're saying there um uh, about hope. Stuart, what would you add to that? How, how does that resonate with you? Yeah, for me, uh, following on from that, for me, the hope of Pentecost or the hope for the church in Pentecost is in the transformational nature of what the Spirit does on that day, um, in how the, the disciples, the followers of God are transformed, and not just not just the 12, but the, the 3,000 believers who begin to meet together and and give what they have to the poor and it's it's a, it's a life is transformed and um and i think intentionally so there's a there's a, a willingness um duncan spoke about the spirit <clears throat> you know turning things upside down i think he said you know just uh, there's a willingness to allow the spirit to do that within you to work um to work with god's spirit you know I think the idea that that you know Christianity doesn't really change radically change your life that has to come to an end. I, I remember actually doing um going on an Alpha weekend in in one of my previous congregations when I just first got there, and uh, on this Holy Spirit weekend, you know they had this. Special Saturday night with the with the music done all right and all the rest of it and the lights turned low and and then this time of ministry of the spirit and people falling over and and all the rest of it. 
we get out of that situation. So, so I'm sitting sort of watching this unfold. I'm, I wasn't leading it. I was just there uh, attending, seeing mm. how they did the Alpha Weekend. In, in did the stuff. Congregation. Yeah. How they did the stuff, yeah. So, so I get out of the meeting. This is now right after the, you know, people have fallen over and had this tremendous experience of the Spirit. We walk out, and I, I kid you not, about 10 of us, sit down in a circle, They, about eight of them pull out cigarettes, uh, start smoking, going, oh, you know, there was uh, there was an effing great evening, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm sort of sitting there going, yeah, okay. Um, man, man you and happened? I went to a different alpha group out here. Yeah. No, well, this, this is it. And, this and is Southern I'm, Summers. I'm not... I'm not <laughs> I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not knocking anybody from that. Yeah. But, yeah. but I, I, my, I did one talk the next day, which was basically, when the spirit touches your life, it's meant to change you. Mm. It's meant to transform you. Uh, when the spirit fills you, speaks to you, ministers to you, something must be different, mm. because mm. that's clearly mm. what happens in Pentecost. Mm. Mm. Um, and I think for me, the hope of Pentecost in the church is to bring people to a place of saying, hey, you should be changed. This stuff should be changing you um, and how you live. I, I wasn't going to go there, but I want to throw in um, one sort of interesting sort of theory that, uh, that I arrived at through reading a book called The Patient Ferment of the Church. I finished about a month ago. It's free on my shelf written by a guy called Credo. I don't know his first name because it's not written on the spine. <laughs> Just looking at it, yeah. Uh, and he, he arrives at a place of saying, you know, like when you look at the, the sort of rapid growth of the church, that, you know, most of the models of evangelism that we've sort of been born to believe are the models we should adopt. They actually weren't in practice. And in fact, his argument is that, there was no massive evangelical missional thrust to the early church. Uh, and those early house meetings actually were inclined more towards issues of catechism, of teaching, um, of being in each other's presence, of being unified, of, of being joyful together. And at that in itself, they actually weren't that mindful. End of, of, meeting, end of meeting the needs of others. They, they gave to those who had need. Yeah, yeah, but they so, so yeah, part of their community though, mm. you know, as people, they didn't go out looking for people in need. They met the needs of the people within their own community. Yes, yeah, um, primarily so, and yet that that was, you know, they they were such an exciting idea, like that people sort of won over by like seeing them, but they weren't necessarily trying to sort of corral people into the into the mix, you know, I just thought that was, I mean, I mean, what do you make of that in light of, 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 of Pentecost? Would you agree with that? I mean, I mean, does that resonate with you? Does that ring yeah, true for you? Very much. Yeah. yeah. I think, you know, um, I think that the likes of Billy Graham and the, the relative successes of the Billy Graham crusades um, were a product of their time. And that time is gone by mm. quite a long time. 
And mm. the longer Billy Graham went on doing crusades, the more people started seeing what didn't work as opposed to what did work. Mm. And, mm. you know, credit where credit's due, Billy Graham had a massive impact, a mm. positive impact on very many people. But I think, especially in the West, it's left us with this image of evangelism as being that, as mm. being the, mm. the big thing, where I mm. think the form of evangelism that we've seen being most successful across the world, the one that we've seen working across cultures, is the model of friendship evangelism, where yeah. first yeah. and foremost you befriend somebody with no mm. ulterior motive. You, you know, you talk about Jesus when they ask about Jesus, mm. when they see Jesus in you and ask what it is mm. that makes you mm. different. Then you speak about oh, Jesus, yeah, but you don't yeah. go in with the intention of converting. You go in yeah. with the intention of befriending. Mm. And, and I think there's, yeah. Than, than, um, than the model of evangelism that we might mm. still think. Or spiritual also. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah, but I'd I'd go along with that. Would you would you say that you know one of the stumbling blocks to the sort of truly spirit led community is sometimes actually within the community itself as it is now, in terms of expectations of people coming to church, what they want. Uh, you know, we are in some ways sort of in very traditional church models of of ministry and worship is a sense that if you did sort of radically try to reconfigure this thing, that most of your blowback would actually come from within the community. Yeah. Or do you, yeah. true for you? I mean, I mean, Duncan, you're nodding your head. Stuart, you see more circumspect. Mm. You're less certain about that. Yeah. Look, I think, I think there might be, it, it's true what you say there, Andrew, but part of me wants to say that, that with, within an, an aging church community, um, I do have a sense of sympathy with people in that community yeah, yeah. Who, who have done their time in church, as it were, who have served faithfully and who are now at a place where they, they no longer have the energy, they no longer have the years on their side. They, they mm -hmm. want to just be able to, to worship and connect with God as they've, they've known um, and, and in some senses, I, I, I feel almost an obligation that, that, that that's, there is something, in a sense, that's owed to them in that. But at the same time, um, at the same time, I think, I, I think a, a radical shift or change um, just within the community, is certainly in my context, isn't going to cut it. Um, it's not, there's, there is, I don't believe there is anything that the church could, could do, um, within its current model to, 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 that'll, that'll get people to say, okay, now we're going to come in. Um, now we're going to see the only way that that's going to happen is if the church actually steps outside of its model, uh, befriends people like Duncan was saying, makes those relationships. Um, I believe meets the needs uh, of people in the community. Uh, that I think um, will connect, will connect with people. Mm -hmm. 
Excellent. Gas, thank you so much. I, I, for one, I've thoroughly enjoyed this uh, this conversation. I mean, I've known you guys for years. I didn't realize you had such a combined wisdom. When you both speak together, it's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> when there's not a 10-second silence. <laughs> Uh, it's been it's been a like to note, Andrew, that we have both noticed that you've been plunging plum drawing answers out of us and you've not said anything. So Well, you know, I, I I sit quietly at the feet of people with far more <laughs> profound and in depth of wisdom. No, seriously, I mean it's I mean I've 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 fed in from time to time, but uh uh, and this really is for our listeners. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, and I hope you guys are up for more words over more weeks ahead. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be great. Yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah. Uh, any, any closing thoughts on this particular word? No, I think I've said enough, uh, Andrew. <laughs> Duncan, anything from you? Yeah. It shouldn't just be one day in the year. Pentecost, we've got a, a liturgy in the in the. Methodist worship book in the UK and it's for Pentecost and times of renewal in the church oh uh, yeah yeah and I think we should carry mm. that sense of renewal through the year keep, yeah keep yeah. pushing it so that it's front in the front of people's minds yeah, yeah and they yeah. don't fall into the old habits and old old ways of thinking and being yeah I remember actually what's odd about this recollection is actually one I have with Stuart's um you know, when you think about uh, the sort of fruits of the Spirit, um, how buoyant they are. You know, you're looking at hope, at, at um, well, okay, love, joy. Um, <clears throat> you know, they, they are, you know, there's a sense of sort of expectancy, a sense of, of hopefulness. Um, I remember a student I met with, with one of our ministers on a different project entirely. And uh, I remember him, you know, he's quite an activist kind of character. And, and he said, you know, the, the church and Christians can't go through life being reactive and negative, you know. Uh, and I, and coming from a guy who was a pretty reactive guy, it really struck me because he's kind of a bit of a prophetic voice there. And uh, a lot of the stuff he would speak about would be quite sort of searing and um, and wounding in a way, and, and necessarily so. But yet, you know, it is almost as if he was processing his own journey at that stage. I was saying, you know, you've got to... You can't just be a reactive element in the world. You've got to be active and hopeful and building something, not just deconstructing, which, of course, is a great postmodern sort of work and necessary in a way, but that you've actually got to be sort of building. And I think Pentecost, like what Duncan's saying there, this is about renewal. It's about hope, about 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 good things and, and seeing where, where, where God is working. Yeah. Yeah. Stuart, Duncan, thank you so much. You want to say goodbye to our listeners for now? Thanks, Andrew. Thank you, Duncan. And uh, cheers, everyone. Look forward to catching you on the next one. Yeah, lovely. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks, Stu. Good seeing you guys. And this is from The Struggling Mystic. Thank you for joining us. And until next time, bye.